Hey everyone, thank you for joining this week's episode of Soundbites. Today we've got a really special guest, Professor Dan Dowling. So professor at Ohio University, founder of branding strategy, um, branding agency Dowling Communications, worked for basically all the brands that you interact with every single day, which is pretty amazing. Hopefully we can get a chance to talk about maybe a few of those specific iconic brands as we go. And we're really, really excited to have you on. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it. How are you today? Outstanding, Derek. I appreciate it, Lauren. Uh, appreciate uh, the invite. Uh, excited to be with you guys today. Looking forward to it. Well, we're really pumped to have you here. We got an intro to you through one of our mutual friends, John Mark Bolton, mm -hmm. and we're really excited. We had the intro meeting. We were chatting through, and I was like, man, this is – I love this guy's story. I don't even know if we're going to be able to get it within the, the 45 minutes, but we're going to absolutely try, and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a so, forty. It's a foot forty plus year career, so it's it's maybe it's, a minute per year. Let's see if we, <laughs> see if we can knock that's it right, out. Lauren. That's right. Well, tell us a little bit about you know where you came from. That's typically how we start the podcast. Is sort of your background right. and how you got into the industry. So it started right here in Columbus, which is where I'm sitting, Columbus, Ohio. I was born and raised uh, in a place called Upper Arlington, uh, great community, Northwest Columbus, and um, um, after I graduated from Upper Arlington High School, I ended up. Uh, playing a little football in college, went down to Eastern Kentucky, transferred to Ohio University um, and played a little football uh, and then um, decided to major in um, advertising of all things. I started as a business major, uh, took a couple of accounting courses and said, mm, I don't think this is going to work. Uh, <laughs> I ran across the street to the journalism school, uh, discovered Ad Age magazine and discovered the whole world of advertising kind of on my own with the help of my advisor and boom. Uh, majored in advertising, graduated, and two weeks later, I was working for an ad agency here in Columbus on the McDonald's business, the local business. And I was in it, Lauren, uh, for the next 35 years. Um, had an incredible run. Um, and, you know, both ad agency, most ad agency, in fact, I wrote it down, 23 years of my 35 on the agency side, nine of it on the client side, all with uh, fast food chains. And then I ended my corporate career in New York City with Nielsen, in advertising research, which was a great way to kind of cap things off. And it enabled me to kind of evaluate, you know, am I going to end it here? Or am I going to, you know, maybe start an encore career, which I decided to do, which of course ended up being teaching at my alma mater. So I was able to get uh, a position uh, on the business faculty teaching marketing. And I've been doing that now for the last eight years and, um, you know, headed into my ninth. So it's been an incredible career. Um, you know, I never dreamt that it would, you know, last this long. I never dreamt that it would take kind of the, the route that it took. Um, but I've been very blessed and uh, worked for some great companies, um, as Derek said, on some incredible uh, brands. And um, it's been just, a, you know, just a, a thrill. Tell us about that first time you saw Ad Age magazine, because I remember the first time I read it. That's an industry trade pub for the folks not in, in advertising. So what interested you about that and how did that sort of kickstart your career? What what hooked you? Yeah, so it's interesting. So I was in this, the journalism school, which is a great school. High University Journalism School is very renowned. and uh, But back then and even today that really kind of focus on, you know, the TV, radio, mm -hmm. newspaper reporting kind of angle of it. And my advisor said, hey, you know, you should start reading this magazine. It's called Ad Age and it talks about the advertising business. And he think, he said, I think that that might be an industry that you would you know, be suited for. So you should start reading. So I started reading it and reading about ad agencies, which they didn't really talk about in, in class, to be honest with you. Um, and I just thought that sounded fascinating. And so these are the people that are doing the ads that I'm seeing on TV, mm -hmm. hearing on radio, seeing up on outdoor boards. Oh, so they're, I get it. So they're like an outside resource to a, a company like McDonald's, to a company like Coca-Cola. And so I made it my business to understand the advertising agency business a little bit more. And believe it or not, it just, I just decided, you know, that's what I want to do. Uh, and I just kept reading Ad Age and kept getting more excited and more intrigued with what I was reading. And so as I, as I got towards the end of my college career, I started sending letters and resumes to these ad agencies. And, you know, as you, if you read ad age, you know, in Athens, Ohio, you're going, okay, the only agencies are in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Detroit, right? Uh, Cleveland, Cleveland was a good agency town. So I decided, well, I'm going to, I want to go to Chicago. So I started just sending letters to ad agencies in Chicago. And back then, 
you'd send a letter and a week later you'd get a response. You'd send a letter and a week later you'd get a response. And all the responses were, thank you for your interest. No, thank you. Thank you for your interest. Uh, not today. And I just found this, okay, this is not going to work. You know, if this is, uh, they, they want experience. I mean, how do you get experience in the ad agency business? If no, you know, and this is kind of before the, the whole idea of you need to intern in the agency business. Right. I, I work construction every summer to maximize my income mm-hmm. and, um, never thought about interning at an ad agency. I never even thought there was an ad agency in Columbus, Ohio, for that mm-hmm. matter. And, um, long story short, there, there were a few. And, um, so I, my, my back, you know, my backup plan was I should start sending letters and resumes to these agencies in Columbus. Hmm. Uh, and that's what I did. And, you know, did start to get a little traction, got a couple of interviews. And then one day I was in the beta house in Athens, my senior year. And back then it was, you know, you had to call people on a phone <laughs> and the, somebody answered the, uh, the phone at the beta house. And they said, Dolan, you got a phone call. I ran and got the call. And he said, Hey, we're uh, Jay Scott Advertising. You interviewed with us spring break. We're in Athens with the McDonald's franchisee. Can you get over to the OUN? It turns out we've got an offer for you. And I couldn't believe it. I threw on wow. my suit, had a friend of mine drive me over to the OUN, went into the bar, um, which was really dark. That's what I remember. And he said, uh, we'd like to offer you a job as a field account executive uh, in Columbus, working on the McDonald's business. And we're going to offer you $7,500 a year salary. I'm like, okay, deal. Stunned me because I, everybody was getting 11, 12 and a car, 13 and a car was a good job back then. Mm. Uh, but 7,500, I made, I made 7,500 in the summers working construction, oh, wow. but you know, I said, I'll take it. And he said, you know, might get a company car in a couple months. We're working with McDonald's on that. I think, you know, that's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, I, I took that job. And uh, started on the McDonald's business. And six months later, I got a call from an ad agency in Marion, Ohio. Never been to Marion, Ohio. It's an hour north of Columbus from an agency that just won the Burger Chef business, which was a, a regional brand out of Indianapolis. And I went up to Marion to, to visit with Howard Swink Advertising. And at the end of the day, went down to the CEO's office, this huge office, brand new, beautiful building. They had It's like this agency in Marion, Ohio. I've never been to Marion. This beautiful building. These All these people were walking around in jeans. This is, they were, they had it figured out long before, you know, jobs mm-hmm. at Apple. And so I'm like, this place is amazing. He goes, we'd like to offer you a job to run this Burger Chef business. Now I'd only been out of school for six months. <laughs> he said, so how much money are you making? And I said, uh, and of course, I'm thinking, do I lie or do I tell the truth? <laughs> and I had gotten my company car the week before. So I did get a company car. And they told me when they gave it to me that that's worth $3,500 a year. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so, and I got a raise to 8,000. So I was doing the arithmetic 8,000 plus 3,500. I'm making, you know, about 14,000. He said, we'll offer you 18,000. I'm like, All right. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah. And he said, <laughs> you know, you're going to be driving so you can turn your miles in. You can lease any kind of car you want. And we'd like to go ahead and, and pay for half your membership to Marion country club. I never even been to a country club. Uh, it's like my life changed. So, you know, I tell my students that story because I say, you know, I know it's all about the money. It's all about the starting salary, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. It should be about the opportunity. It should be about the fit. The money will come, you know, the money yeah. will come. And John Mark does a nice job with my classes when he talks about money, you know, don't chase the money, you know, that, that yeah. chase the he said that on his, he said on his episode of the podcast as well, yeah. which is, yeah. which is great. And it, um, we don't have exact, I wasn't working on the McDonald's account, but my first job in advertising, I took as an unpaid intern for the same reason. I right. was just out of school. It was right after, you know, it was 2010. So we were sort of like coming out of the recession, but a lot of mm-hmm. folks were still having a hard time getting a job. So I was working two jobs and I started my first advertising job as an unpaid intern, just hoping that it would turn into something more. And then a few weeks later, like, okay, we'll pay your gas. And I was like, okay, great. And then a few months after that, they paid me, gosh, I think I was making like $30,000 a year in 2010. So I was like barely able to pay my bills, but I knew, or I hoped that would lead to something more and and the money would follow. And then I started yeah. working in house and yeah, and then things started to work out. But had I just waited for that job that would pay me all of the money I was expecting to make, I don't know where I'd be. I know you're right. Exactly. And you said, you said something inter- interesting that um, a lot of people just don't realize, especially when they're in college, that 
the end company, like McDonald's, for example, isn't the one that's building the advertising. They're not usually the ones building the strategy, right? They have an in-house team. But we talked to someone the other day who calls it the Avengers Initiative, which was really kind of clever. It's like all these individuals come together, all these different companies come together to deliver results. And even in the automotive world, a lot of automotive manufacturers, they're assemblers. They're a branding company, really. And they have all these other companies that come together to help build, deliver a solution. And when I was in college, I was like, oh, I need to work for Ford. I need to work for, for Nissan. It's like, well, you don't. You can work in that industry. And there's a thousand tangential companies that you can work with that can deliver the same type of value and you can yep. contribute to the same project. I'll tell you what, you know, in, in college, uh, you know, at OU, when I'm teaching this one course, 4,500, so management of promotions, the fourth piece. So I talk about all the tools that brands have to get their messaging out, you know, and you would think that it's all about social media and it's all, you know, and I, I try to talk, just set that aside for the moment. Let's not get wrapped up in, you know, TikTok. I mean, the device that the messaging goes out on, it's going to change by the time you graduate. Yeah. Uh, and then whoever you go to work for, if you decide to go into this business, they're going to train you as to what you need to know. So I, I try to stay away from people say, do you teach digital? Do you, you know, what do you know about digital? And I, I talk about just the, the fundamentals. But, um, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's really interesting when, when these students, these marketing majors, you know, and marketing is taught in the business school and advertising is taught in the journalism school, which is bizarre. But that's the way it is in 75 percent of the colleges in America. Mm -hmm. So when I interviewed with the business school, I said, hey, I would, I'd like to bring, a, you know, some advertising to the business school, to the marketing. Since it's the largest line item typically in a marketing budget, why wouldn't you teach advertising over here in the business school? Sure. So I start to get into the agency business when, with some of these juniors and seniors marketing and they've taken research and they've taken marketing principles and they talk about product development and pricing and all that stuff. And when I start to talk about the advertising agency business, they're like, wait a second, I've never even heard about this. Wow. What is this? And I, I swear, you'd be surprised how many of them say, this is what I want to do. Hmm. Yeah. I thought I wanted to go into this part of marketing or this part of marketing or this part of marketing. I want to do this. And can you help me get into this business? And of course, it's still today a difficult business to get into, right? It's a small fraternity, if you will. Uh, but once you get in and you're good, as Lauren knows, you know, the business will take care of you. Um, Why do you think so, it's so challenging? Why do you think it's hard to break into more than more than maybe some other industries? Well, I just think that, uh, you know, the typically, you know, an agency is looking for productivity, not added cost. Hmm. They're not looking overhead. And so you bring in a college grad and you're looking at, at least for a period of time, overhead, you're adding yeah. to your overhead, they're going to generate zero income. Um, right. So if you're the president of an agency, um, whether you're owned by a holding company or you've got a board of directors that you're reporting to, you're constantly thinking and pushing down, you know, we've got to increase our billing. Uh, we've got to reduce our costs. We've got to maximize our profits. So anytime you bring on a intern, paid intern, or a college graduate, uh, the productivity is going to take time. doesn't mean that person is not going to be a superstar. It just means that for the, for the short period of time, that's a cost. So we're adding to our cost. cost. Yeah. Is that okay? Can we go ahead and hire Lauren? You know, she seems to be bright. I think she's going to be great. But, you know, for a while, we're going to just be paying her. She's not going to be generating any billing. Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, when I got in the agency business and I learned about timesheets, you know, it was like, God, you know, this is painful. That Hated it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, what project you're billing your time to that hour, that week, that month. Yeah. And all the agencies, you know, struggled with getting, you know, you got to get your timesheets in because we got to do the billing. And if you don't turn your timesheets in, guess what? We're not going to give you your, uh, your expense account check, or we're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get a bonus or you're not going to get this, or you're not going to be able to come to the Christmas party. Um, you know, so you, yeah. um, you talk to students all the time. So you've, and you've been in the industry for so long. Um, you know, what has changed about the ad industry that's, you know, surprised you over the years or has it, or is it still pretty consistent? Well, that's a good question. I, I mean, you know, the, I guess the overwhelming change is this whole digital transformation mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, and I've been teaching eight years and I, I can go back to 2014. And, and while I think I can remember the numbers, when you looked at U.S. advertising spending, Lauren, I think it was like 70, 30 traditional to digital. Mm -hmm. Still 70% back in 14 was spent on the traditional side, TV, radio, outdoor, print. 
and the money was moving, moving over to the digital side. But, you know, the, the whole smartphone thing was taking off and just the whole digital uh, opportunity was evolving and developing on a daily, weekly and monthly basis. So as that's continued to develop over the past eight years, the money has continued to move over. Right. And so now it's more like 70, 30 digital to traditional mm-hmm. just in the eight years I've been teaching. You know, I can remember I said 70, 30, you know, traditional digital. So don't think, you know, everything's digital, ladies and gentlemen, it's not. And then, you know, four years later, it's like, okay, so, you know, it's about 50, 50, you know, so it's still 50% on the traditional side, 50%. Now it's like, oh my God, you know, it's just like all these kids, all they think about is their phones and their, maybe their laptops and all the messaging that they ever see in, in their mind is it's on my phone. It's yeah. coming on my phone, or maybe I'll see it on my laptop. Um, we've um, we've experienced some really interesting things with that. One, it's like the attribution, right? So when you're on a digital platform, the attribution is there. That, to your point of, do I hire an intern or not? Because I don't know if the expense is worth it on digital. You can almost see it immediately. It's mm-hmm. like I can test something, and an hour and a half later, I can see am I performing to my benchmark? Do I need to pull this campaign? Do I need to try something else? And then can I attribute that return on ad spend to this channel, this one, or this one? But Lauren always talks with her clients about that omni-channel strategy. So it's like, even though your one port of entry might be uh, Instagram, they may have seen you in 10 other places. And all of that contributes to the overall experience, the overall journey, and the overall sale or the win for the end customer, yeah. which is, um, it's interesting. And I think people might discount that if they're just looking at the very microscopic, they don't think about the brand holistically. Yeah. And it also makes it harder to track, you know, the journey as well. I think technology is getting better. So you can sort of attribute, you know, your seven points of your touch points with a brand, but it is challenging. Yeah. And then it's hard to justify that expense. And I think a lot of brands are, you're sort of seeing a pullback on digital ad spend too, because I think a lot of brands were putting in millions and millions of dollars, seeing the return. And then especially on social, the attribution so different that face, like they weren't getting those returns on Facebook mm-hmm. on direct to consumer brands whose only real ex, um, you know, exposure to customers is through digital advertising, um, they're struggling to turn a profit. And yep. so it's challenging there. This whole so, measurement of advertising and advertising effectiveness has been an ongoing issue my mm-hmm. entire career. And I've been doing this since 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it, even though there's been progress and, and when you move to the digital side, you're right, there's a lot of measurement systems in place that you know, weren't on the traditional side. You know, I'm running, you know, $100 million in TV advertising on network TV. Is it working? I guess my sales are going up, you know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know. Uh, so when I went to Niels, when I went to actually, it was called IAG Research when I first joined the firm in 2007 in New York City. And then we were bought by Nielsen 11 months after I got there. Mm-hmm. But that was that that idea, that firm was all about measuring effectiveness of TV advertising. And then, you know, uh online advertising was coming on aggressively. So we were able to measure online advertising and mobile also was coming on. So we were starting to measure mobile and that, and and we would sell subscriptions to that research and we, and companies would pay us um, $750,000 a year for that data. You know, all the, and so I, the way they had the company set up is was in sectors, business sectors. So I was the restaurant sector leader and it was my goal to get all the top 25 chains to subscribe to our data. And they had a website set up called rewardtv.com. And you'd go to that website and it, and they would pay you to watch TV, right? You get gift cards from Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts to watch TV and then, you know, answer some questions. And they'd ask you questions about the shows to measure stickiness. Do you remember the beginning? Do you remember the middle? Do you remember the end of the show? And oh, by the way, did you see a car ad? Because we knew you saw a car ad. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. You remember what brand it was? Yeah, it was a Ford ad. You remember what the message was? As a matter of fact, I do. It was a new car. Uh, did you like the ad? Yeah, I did. I thought it was really funny. Did it? Is it going to increase your purchase intent of a Ford when and if you go in the, in the car uh, business or you need a car? Yes, as a matter of fact, it, that data was gold. Mm. And uh, we'd go around and, and we'd lay this out. And of course, we'd be able to go in and say, here's, you know, your last five commercials. We've got the data on it because it was syndicated research and it would just blow people away. I remember p- p- uh, pitching to Papa John's in Louisville and John Schnatter, the founder and CEO was in the meeting 
and we lay this out, you know, we, we talk about the commercials that he's in. We, and we say, as a matter of fact, we've dissected this, John. Uh, we've looked at commercials where you're in the beginning of the commercial or just the end of the commercial. And the ones where you're in the beginning are much more effective than they are if you're just at the end. And he slammed his head. He said, I told you guys, the agency was in there. He said, we're going to buy this data. I don't care what it costs. And agency, I need to see new creative next week with nice. me at the beginning, the middle and the end. You know, so uh, measurement, measurement, measurement. Is it working? Is it working? We still don't know. And, then, you know, I, I, you know, people are still wondering, is all this money we're spending in paid social, paid search, is it really working? I mean, I know we've got data that says that people are seeing it, that people are clicking through. Uh, do we have the connectivity between all of that and our actual sales? I mean, we would right. we would try to analyze this data that we had at Nielsen, this all the, the metrics I just took you through with sales. They give us their sales. Burger King, uh, Papa John's, uh, Domino's, um, Arby's. We had all those accounts, and they would mm -hmm. give us, the, and we try to correlate all of it. It was just it was mind boggling, you know. We get to, we have an easier time doing that today, right? We've got some crazy data tools that are able to yeah. do it. And when you look at time series data like that, like sales data, and you're trying to correlate it back to an event, you got three components of that. And you have the the trend over time, you have the seasonality, which can be like hourly even, but you have the seasonality, and then you have what's called exogenous variables. An exogenous variable might be I ran an ad on a Tuesday mm -hmm. and then Wednesday I got sales. So you have to like the correlation between all those is interesting. And I think some people end up mistaking trend for exogenous or vice versa. Yeah. So being able to over time determine what is what is challenging. And I think one of the, the favorite ways that Lauren's done it is holdout testing, mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's painful, but if you want to see if something works, stop doing it. Yeah. And yeah. then you see pretty yeah. effectively. Hey, when so, I was in, you know, was that at Wendy's, uh, you know, from what, 82 to 86, you know, when we went on TV, the franchisees expected sales to go up within 72 hours. You know, if we started huh. on Monday, you knew by Wednesday whether or not the campaign was working or not, you know? Um, so well, speaking of, those, of, of campaigns with Wendy's, tell us about, you know, the where's the beef campaign and how you sort sure. of played a part, major part in that. So, you know, we were, I went there in 82 um, and in 82 thereabouts uh, Burger King launched the, what they called the burger wars back then. And they came out with a claim in their, in their TV commercials where they said the Whopper is preferred to the uh, Big Mac and the Wendy single two to one. Hmm. And we were, you know, running some soft bite and smile type advertising. We used to call it, you know, people biting into our burgers and smiling, <laughs> a lot of beautiful people uh, having a beautiful time on the beach or at home or, you know, in the backyard or in the, in the convertible. And it was like, okay, this is not going to work. We got to take the gloves off here. This is serious. I mean, they're coming after us. So we retooled everything. We talked to the agency, which was Dancer Fitzgerald Sample, an old New York City agency, um, Proctor agency. They had a lot of mm -hmm. package goods business, but they were doing great work for us. Um, and we said, you know, we got to come up with a new campaign. We got to we got to get aggressive about our burgers. We got to talk burgers. So 1983, that's all we talked about was burgers, burgers, burgers. We talked about fresh, not frozen. We talked about no heat lamps. We talked about major way with the toppings you want. Um, and we found this director in Chicago by the name of Joe Settlemeyer, who, who was doing these kind of unique, weird casting type commercials that were very funny, very memorable and very effective. And he was working with all major brands. So our agency in New York aligned with Joe in Chicago, and we put together a year's worth of hamburger advertising. And it was a major hit. Uh, our sales took off. It blunted Burger King's effort, at least on behalf of Wendy's. And our franchisees were ecstatic. And we were headed into 84, and we had momentum. And we're like, what are we going to talk about? We've talked about everything. We need to keep this hamburger campaign going. And so we were flying from... Uh, Denver to Dallas one night, and I wrote on a legal pad, some hamburger restaurants camouflage their small hamburgers with big names. Just that's all it said on a yellow. It was a big yellow pad, legal pad. And I ripped that off and we were at the agency the next week in uh, New York. And I pulled that out of my briefcase and I handed it to uh, the account guy. I said, this is what we want. This is what we want to talk about in January. And uh, that's when they came back with two commercials, old man commercial, old lady commercial. Um, and they both said, where's all the beef? We got to Chicago to shoot. Joe Settlemeyer looked at all of us and said, do you mind if we just say, where's the beef instead of where's all the beef? 
We said, that sounds cool. And so that's what we did. And we put both those commercials on the air in January of 84. It was going to be for four weeks. Just normally we wouldn't go on the air in January, but we thought mm-hmm. let's, let's get this thing going because of the weather east of the Mississippi. It was just like, let's save the money. But this year, 84, we went on right from the get go. And we went on with old lady, old man, where's the beef? And we thought four weeks, you know, that's, that's cool. Within 10 days, it was global. You know, wow. it had gone viral before there was no such thing as viral back then, but this thing had gone, not viral in the U S or North America, but all over the world. And uh, president Reagan was saying it to the challenger astronauts. Was a, you know, there was a presidential debate later in 84 where Mondale looks at Gary Hart and said, where's the beef? Uh, it was on Johnny Carson. I mean, it was just every, everywhere you can think of. Um, it was. And, um, you know, we were like rock stars. We had Where's the Beef lapel pins. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, he, he had to have a lapel pin on. He always carried mm-hmm. lapel pins. So when you go to stores, he would just hand out, hey, here's a, here's a lapel pin. You know? <laughs> um, and so we had these Where's the Beef lapel pins. And especially flight attendants would look, you know, they'd like look at it and go, oh, I'll give you three pins for that. Because the flight attendants back then collected, like maybe they still do, collected pins. Oh, you know? wow. And so it was, it was really cool. And so we quickly after 10 days said, we got to do another commercial. So we flew to LA. I remember it was snowing like crazy in Columbus. We took the Wendy's jet uh, from Columbus to St. Louis. And we were able to get out on the last flight out of St. Louis to LA. And we were in Marina Del Rey the next day on a yacht producing this commercial. It was like, we went from (laughs) not going to be able to get there to on a yacht. Um, It was just, it was outstanding. And that, that commercial ran for six weeks. That was a SS Big Bun. You know, he was the owner of a, a hamburger restaurant on his yacht, you know, and Clara finds him and says, where's the beef? <laughs> and um, and then we did a Monday night football contest, where's the beef, with ABC Sports for the whole football season. And it just the thing was just out of Explo- control. Well, what do you think resonated with people with that campaign? Clara, Clara the, the, old, mm-hmm. the older lady, bless her mm-hmm. heart, she was like everybody's grandmother. Yeah. And she was fighting, you know, for her rights and, you know, hey, we want our money's worth. And, you know, you're not giving it to us, but Wendy's is. And she was just a sweetheart. And so we got her out on the circuit, you know, not only in the commercial, but we had her uh, visiting and, and, uh, you know, going to shows and she was on every show and people just fell in love with her. Um, so, and, and the line, where's the beef and how she delivered it, you know, uh, also caught on. So it was the line, it was the message, which is, God, I didn't know Wendy's single had more beef than the Big Mac and the Whopper. That's pretty interesting. And it was the, you know, the Clara herself, you know, we had our convention that year in every year we had our convention in Vegas, every other year in Vegas. And then we go somewhere else, Vegas, somewhere else. This was in Honolulu. So we flew Clara out to Honolulu. And at the beginning of the adver- uh, the beginning of the convention, uh, there's 3,500 people in the auditorium, and they lit it so all you could see was the shadow of this little lady standing behind the curtain, and she just stood there for like I don't know five you know several minutes, and the crowd was going crazy, and that curtain lifted up, spotlight on Claire going, "Where's the beef? Where's the?" And everybody was just going crazy, and we handed out by the way at that uh, convention. 3,500 pens that said, where's the beef was my idea. So oh, everybody awesome. was walking oh, nice. around. But yeah. Which I've got, if, a, I've got a bag of those sitting over there. I'll send you guys a couple of those. Uh, that'd be awesome. I, I'm kind of curious now. I'm like, I wonder what they go for on eBay. I wonder if that's like a piece of nostalgia <laughs> that, that goes for something. And it's amazing. That's something you wrote down on a legal pad. Mm-hmm. You, you, you thought, okay, this is going to be something, this is the next generation or the next iteration of what we're going to do, but you probably never intended it to be iconic. The, no. you know, 10 things, one thing that you wrote down on a legal pad ended up becoming a global phenomenon for years that people still talk about now and end oh, up yeah. being taught in schools. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it really so, is. And in, in these kids today, my students today, they don't know where's the beef. Although Wendy's has tried to bring it back, you know, recently mm-hmm. a little bit, but uh, they still don't know it. So when I talk about it, I say, you know, you ask your parents, you tell your parents and you tell your grandparents that, yes. you, you know. And, and they'll, they'll come back to me and say, Hey, I was telling my parents and they're like, Oh my God, that's a great campaign. So let's talk about the transition you made from agency side to client side. So how was one, what did you like better? And two, how did that feel for you when you were on the one side of the table versus the other side? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I was at uh, Needham Harper and Steers, now DDB 
uh, in Dayton, Ohio, and we were part of the New York division. We had the, the uh, Frigidaire account. Frigidaire was based in Dayton at the time. And um, so I went to uh, Needham Harper Steers in Dayton to, to work on the Frigidaire business and account management. And the client there was a guy by the name of Jim Huey, who was a national ad manager. He had also worked in New York on the, in the agency business. So he had agency and client side, and he was a great guy. He became a mentor to me. Um, just a, and he was like my dad's age. So he was like a father figure to me. And, um, you know, he, uh, always said to me, Hey, someday, you know, you may have an opportunity to shift from the agency side to the client side. He said, you know, I did that and you should do it if it's, but it has to be the right client. You know, you don't want to go work for a, a number four, number five, number six brand in a category. It's, it's, it's painful. He says, you don't want to do that. But if you can get to uh, go to work for a really uh, high profile brand in a category, take the opportunity. Hmm. So I was on Frigidaire for three years, did real well. I got promoted to uh, VP um, at Needham. I was able to go to New York City and work with uh, our New York people without having to live there, which was kind of cool. And um, lo and behold, a guy that I work with on the McDonald's business called me and said, hey, listen, I just got promoted here at Wendy's. Uh, There's a national ad manager job open. Would you be interested? So I drove from Dayton to Columbus. I met with him. I met with the the CMO was called EVP marketing back then a guy by the name of Bill Welter, who is a Chicago guy worked for Burnett and um, they offered me the job right then. So I remember going back to Dayton and going to lunch the next day with Jim Huey. And I said, Jim, you're not going to believe this, but uh, you know, I've been offered this job at Wendy's and uh, he said, take it, take it. Wow. Uh, you know, we're going to miss you. I love you like a son, but you got to take this job. <laughs> and um, it's weird. I took the job and then, Frigidaire was sold to White Consolidated and they moved their offices to Columbus. And so he was actually, he moved to Columbus and he would meet me at a bar periodically across from Wendy's and get updates from me on how things were going. So it's almost like he, you know, followed me around, yeah. you know, it was, it was weird, but uh, that's how that happened. That, that And that was my first client side job. And I loved it. You know, I mean, Wendy's was a great brand, obviously a great brand, a local brand uh, started in Columbus. I remember going to the first Wendy's with my dad dad in downtown Columbus. <clears throat> and they were just, you know, on fire. So it was a brand on the move. It was a brand that clearly was considered to be the best tasting hamburger nationally of any chain. You know, there's some regional chains that maybe would rank a little bit higher, whether it's in and out or somebody in Texas, but nationally, nobody came close uh, mm-hmm. to Wendy's in terms of taste and likability and things like that, that we measured. Um, and so it was a great opportunity. And, um, you know, I was there, as, as you know, now for not very long until the burger wars hit and, you know, it seemed like everything kind of blew up and then we were able to respond to that in a very favorable way. And it was a great run. You know, I hated to leave Wendy's, but, you know, I was recruited aggressively back into the agency business by a guy by the name of Smoot Falgren, who had had a number of, uh, offices in the Midwest fault, you know, Falgren, uh, offices, and they had McDonald's regionally. They were a big McDonald's agency. So he had bought that agency that I went to work for in Marion, Ohio. So those guys I still stayed in touch with. And they're like, hey, Dan, Smoot Vaughan's coming to town. And their offices were literally five minutes from Wendy's corporate office. Mm. And, you know, who wants to meet you? And can you meet us for lunch? And I've met, and Smoot's this old, you know, West Virginia, uh, you know, check your wallet when he leaves because he's probably <laughs> going to steal it. And um, but a super charming guy. And obviously wildly successful. And he put a he put together a deal I couldn't say no to. And, and so I I left Wendy. Back I, to I, the I, agency I, world, you said. Back to the agency business, yeah. Is it hard and, to go uh, back to the grind? It was, it was you know, um, because I, you know, I was with a national a global brand that was mm-hmm. on the move. And now all of a sudden I'm working with some national brands, you know, we had some national brands in Columbus out of the Fogren office, but also some regional brands and then some kind of, you know, early on brands. And it was like, eh, you know, I'm missing my hundred million dollar ad budget that I was responsible for, you know, yeah. now we're pitching, you know, three million, four million, five million dollar accounts, which are great accounts back then. But it was just like, it's not the same. It's like going from the NFL back to college, you know? Yeah. Um, but so I loved it. Of- I love Smoot and I became very close, um, you know, and then that led to me getting a, and then they, you know, Smoot sold the agency to IPG in mm. New York city. And I met some IPG guys uh, in Detroit, Campbell Ewald, big Chevy agency. Yeah. And they sent me to Los Angeles to run uh, K 
Campbell Ewald in LA and they had the Princess Cruises account. So, you know, it worked out. Um, but it's interesting how just like random decisions, random chance yeah. interactions can just completely change and shift your life. And oh. you mentioned, you know, going back to college. So that's probably a good segue into the present of you are a professor now and you run um, a branding agency. So let's talk about those really quickly. So how, how do you like college life, being a professor, teaching students, shaping the next generation of people in the field and running that agency? Yeah. So <clears throat> I'll start with the agency piece. I mean, it just seems like it's a continuation of what I've been doing forever. Hmm. So it, it's, I love it. I'm pretty good at it. I've got a handful of clients. Uh, I could probably have two handfuls, but I don't have the time. Um, and I, you know, I just, I love sitting with, you know, clients like you guys, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about and helping them solve their problems, uh, regardless of what that entails. If that requires us to, you know, do social media postings, we'll do it. If that requires some paid digital, we'll do it. If that requires an outdoor board, we just put up an outdoor board on I-71 for a client. Uh, they're ecstatic. They love it. Um, then we'll do it, you know, uh, whatever it takes. So I love that. And, you know, I've got that daily. So if for some reason I wake up and go, oh, I don't have class today. I don't have anything to do. Yes, you do. You've got four mm-hmm. clients that are relying on you to come up with ideas to drive, you know, traffic to their restaurants, their bars, whatever the case may be. So I love that. Um, but, you know, I started guest lecturing um, when I was in New York at, you know, what became Nielsen. Uh, and, there was a journalism professor who had found me and said, Hey, would you come down to Athens and speak to the ad association? So I did that. And it was like, you worked, it worked out great. He said, can you come back? Can you speak to my classes? So one thing led to another and he and I developed this relationship where I was going back to Athens pretty regularly uh, to speak to classes, to organizations, things like that. And I found myself flying back to New York and telling my wife, gosh, I really enjoyed my time in the classroom. These students were like, you know, and this professor said to me, oh, my God, I've never seen my students so excited, so animated. You know, they, they really, you know, liked you. You know, they really liked your, what you had to say. They really liked your stories. So I thought, well, you know, maybe someday uh, I could teach, you know, whether it's at NYU if we're here in New York or if we move to Ohio, maybe there's colleges all over Ohio. Or if we move to Los Angeles where my wife is from, you know, there's certainly plenty of colleges out there. Um, thinking way in the back of my mind, but I only have an undergrad, you know, don't you need like a master's to teach college? Don't you need a PhD? I think I thought you needed a PhD, to be honest with you. So I'd have to go back to school forever to do that. You know, forget that. That's not going to happen. So then I remember, you know, going down there and talking to the professor about, you know, what, what does it take to do this? He said, well, you need to have a master's. So, but you could get, a, you could uh, apply, get accepted into our master's program and teach. You can start teaching as a GA, right? I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool. Never thought of that. So I, so I had to take the GRE to, to get accepted in the journalism school. And I, but, and, and you also needed that to get accepted into the business school, MBA or uh, master's of sports administration. And so I ended up getting job offers at both. I got accepted. In, I'm sorry, accepted into both. And, you know, both uh, included a GA ship, if you will, so I could start teaching in both. So I opted for the College of Business, even though I was a journalism guy. I opted for the College of Business for a variety of reasons. And I'm glad I did. It, it's worked out. It's worked out great. So and that that experience now eight years long has been incredibly rewarding. There's nothing like a client calling you up going, hey, Dan, the agency, you guys have hit it out of the park. Our sales are up, our profits are up, our CEO, our shareholders, they love the ads. It just thank you. Th- you know, that phone call or winning an account, hey, Dan, we've decided to go with your agency. I mean, it's nothing like it. But to have a student um, send in an evaluation, says, you know, you're the best professor that I've ever had in the four years I've been here. This is the best class. I've learned more in this class than I've learned, you know, my whole college career. Or... I just accepted a job with an ad agency or a digital agency in Austin uh, or three years down the road, them saying, you know, I just got promoted to director of advertising or me picking up my New York times on Sunday, which I always read. And there's an ad full page ad with for fair Harbor 
and the head of advertising is a former student of mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, here he is in the New York Times. Now, he's a, this is a, a company who makes products from plastic water bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do. And he's a digital guy. You know, he started with a big ad agency in Austin, uh, GSDNM, great agency, but then met a guy that had just started a Facebook ad agency. They just did Facebook ads. He took that job. One thing led to another. He helped grow it. They were bought. And then he was offered this big job at Fair Harbor. So that, man, I'll tell you, that is just incredibly rewarding. Hmm. And if I had to getting that client call saying, Hey, the ads you guys came up with are really working. Thank you very much. Or student going, you know, seeing that ad in the New York times, man, I'll tell you, I don't know. Uh, it's Well, you're changing big. lives, you know, you're helping people yeah. get on uh, the first step into their career that's and right. hopefully doing something great with it. And it sounds like for many students, that's what you've done, which is incredible. Well, um, that, thank you. And that's, you're that's a, that's a very uh, good point. Very good point. Changing lives and, you know, it's one thing to drive people into McDonald's, right? Yeah. And, and get them to come in. You know, yeah, McDonald's was like, bring them in, trade them up, bring them back. Bring them in, trade them up, bring them back. You know, that, that was the culture that I grew up in. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, drive sales, same store sales. What are our sales? Sales, sales, sales. Um, but you're right to have somebody say, you know, and, and then to be invited to their weddings. Oh, gosh, and then to get yeah. their pictures of their, you know, their first children. I mean, it's, it's, it's special. I'm definitely not surprised you're leaving an impression because I think just from the stories that you've told us, they're so interesting. I, I know the folks who listen to our podcast are going to be interested, but okay. I am curious to know, um, you know, you speak what you, you interact with students all the time. So what advice would you give to, let's say we have some students listening today, some kids who are maybe just trying to get their first job. What should they do? What should they do to help them stand out, maybe differentiate from the other sure. applicants? I, what I do the last week of every class is I have this thing I call five to thrive. Five things that I would do if I were you based on mm-hmm. my, what, 45 years of experience of doing things right and doing a lot of things wrong. Uh, if I can help you avoid some of the things I've done wrong, then, you know, that that's a win for me. Um, the first thing is that you have to treat your health as your number one priority. Uh, because with good health, you have hope and with hope you're rich. Um, you know, so much of what I hear in the hallways and in the classrooms is about money, 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 uh, starting salary, starting salary. And I get that, man. I get that. I want to, I want to, I don't want to live at home. I want to have my own apartment. I want to have a nicer car. I want to be able to go on vacation. Um, I get that, but all that, you know, as John Mark says, will come, uh, if you do everything else right. Uh, but if you move that to the top of your priority list, trust me, from experience, you're going to go sideways. It's going to yeah. get you going sideways and you're going to lose track or uh, or control of the more important thing. So health, you know, is absolutely uh, critical. Um, first impression, last impression. You've heard that cliche, first impression, a lasting impression. So pre-pandemic, I talked a lot about interviews and firm handshakes and eye contact. And I can't tell you, if you didn't give me a firm handshake when I interviewed you, or you didn't give me eye contact throughout that handshake, and then got up at the end of the interview and did the same thing, chances are I wasn't going to hire you. Yeah. Chances are, even if you had a, a, maybe a slightly better resume or a little bit better experience, there's something about that. I, I just, I have to have that. So I recommend to all my students, be sure to do it. You don't need to break their hand uh, or, you know, getting back to handshaking again, I guess. Uh, but man, that, that handshake's got to be there. And that, uh, that eye contact's got to be there. Take handwritten notes and ask lots of questions. Take handwritten notes. Do you mind if I take notes? You mind if I take a few notes? No, go ahead. Uh, that, that immediately lifts you up, uh, Mm -hmm. among the other five people, 10 people, 15 people we're talking about, um, become a ferocious reader. Um, John Mark, you know, we talk about John Mark. I mean, he's got, you know, his executive team reading a a book a month. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that, you know, uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, you know, read, you know, endless amounts of books. Um, it's a way to continue your learning. So once you leave school, um, if you don't read, you don't learn. And so I, I tell my students, you know, you might not be a ferocious reader today, but become one tomorrow. Start tomorrow. 
Uh, if you if you never read anything, read something. If you only read a book a year, read two a year. If you only read a book, you know, every three months, read two. I mean, just become ferocious. Baby steps, yeah. yeah. And, and Audible makes that easy. Like audiobooks, that totally. can get your foot in the door yes. now. Talk about that. I talk about getting horizontal. You know, so so many people are vertical. Hey, you know, I want to be in a PR. I want to work for a PR agency. I've got eight years of PR experience. I've got eight, you know, internships. I read PR books. My dad's in PR. My mom's in. To me, that's like, okay, that's great. That's very vertical. Did you ever, were you ever an Uber driver? Uh, right. You know, did you ever deliver pizza? I mean, tell me something other than that, you know, mm-hmm. that you did. So I love people to get horizontal uh, with something. So I strongly encourage that. Uh, be curious, ask questions. We talked about that earlier and just keep your priorities clear, you know? Uh, and I talked about health being at the top. Um, family's got to be right there behind it, you know? So if you've got health and family and a hobby, then your job, that's yeah. the way it should be. Uh, you know, even though you spend a disproportionate amount of time on your job, um, you have to have health. You have to get up and move, do something, um, and you have to, and I, when I talk about health, I'm talking spiritual, financial, uh, you know, I'm talking, um, you know, relig- you know, just spiritual, financial, um, mental mm-hmm. uh, health. You know, you've got to have all those working. And, um, and if you have your priorities straight as that fifth uh, thing to thrive, you know, you're going to, you're going to be in great shape. I personally to say, you know, I didn't have it that way. I didn't have my priorities set up that way. I had. I had my job at the top and chasing money at the top mm-hmm. and that threw me off. And that threw me into some really bad places, dark places that I'm not proud of. Um, and so now that I've got experiences, yeah, I've now that I've got that, my, my uh, priority straight, uh, it's, life's a lot easier. Life's a lot better. Uh, and everything's worked out, you know? So what's, What's really interesting is we always ask the question, you know, what advice would you give when you're 20 to your 25 year old self? And we had never seen a duplicate answer before. And then back to back, like three in a row, um, it became like being present, appreciating things as it was happening. Right. It became the number one answer. It was like, bam, bam, bam. We had never had a duplicate before. So it was kind of interesting. Um, So I think the answer you just gave is probably the advice you would give to yourself when you're 25 or 18, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. There'd be, you know, the advice would be, uh, you know, it'd be five things, but uh, I guess if I had to boil it down to one, it would be the priority piece. It'd be getting, yeah. getting your priority straight, health at the top, family, uh, hobby, and then job and money, you know, and awesome don't let advice. that, don't let that creep up because it, it will, it, it's not necessary because if you do all those other things, right. Uh, you take care of your health, you take care of your family and you have something that, that keeps you, you know, interested uh, outside of work. Uh, your job, you're going to do, you're going to be great at your job. You're going to be wildly successful. You're going to make all of whatever you want to make uh, you want. If, if those priorities are right. I think that's, it's awesome. It's great advice. And I think to that point, you talked about being a ferocious leader and our kind of the last question we like to wrap up on is what media would you suggest people read right now? What books are you reading? What podcasts are you listening to? What are, what are the top of the list right now that you think someone should hit? Yeah, I, you know, I, I really listen to one primary podcast, uh, which is CMO Moves. Yeah. CMO Moves. I think we talked about that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, every time I think oh, I need to start listening to a different podcast, I, I, I hear from somebody on that one that just, you know, inspires me. Uh, I learn something from. Uh, so, you know, these CMOs that they interview are, are wildly successful people. Uh, many of them, you know, have traveled, uh, you know, different routes. A lot of them have started in the agency business um, and, and found their way to the client, what we call the client side. And, um, you know, they've, they've done very, very well. And they talk about, you know, what gets them there. And uh, so I find that to be really current and really full of uh, great information. So what I do is periodically I'll have my students listen to one of those uh, and write a report. And mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, the students say, wow, that was great. Wow, I really enjoyed listening to that podcast. I mean, they, they never even heard of CMO Moves. Mm-hmm. They never thought about listening to that podcast. The, you know, the farewell of the Facebook marketing guy, Lucio, whatever his name is, from, from the last 40 years. It's a great podcast. It's a great episode if you haven't heard that. Uh, he does a really nice job. In terms of books, um, you know, I read a lot of business books. 
this is a great book, Kellogg on branding. Strongly recommend this. I, I recommend this on the first day of class to all of my students. Um, it's just obviously uh, the, the Kellogg people are top notch, uh, best in the business. This is their first book on branding. Hmm. I think it's outstanding. This is a book that you guys are familiar with that uh, uh, our friends, oh, that's great. Me, you know, can't hurt me. Uh, I, I listen, I, I follow Goggins on social media and, you know, watch him running and, and shouting at all of us and telling us what to do. <laughs> but this book puts all of that in perspective. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great read and it's, uh, it's important. And I think it, you know, uh, it puts, as I said, just a lot of things in perspective. I can show you my computer sitting on a stack of uh, five marketing textbooks, all of which I've read. So to be honest with you, a lot of my reading time uh, as a professor is spent, you know, not that I'm a big textbook guy because it's kind of like the word, the days of textbooks are kind of over because they're not invariably kind of dated, you yeah. know, and, and in marketing and advertising and things are changing as you guys know by the hour. So it takes textbooks years to catch up. Yeah. Uh, but I've found, so I find myself contacting all three major publishers all the time, especially in the summer. And saying, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? And so I've got three new textbooks that I that I received this yet this summer that I've already read. Um, so and, you know, I've got a, a textbook company, a publisher after me to write a textbook. My wife keeps saying, you know, what are you waiting for? And, you know, it's, yeah. just a, it's a commitment um, yeah. because there's a you know, there's a lot of detail. But, uh, you know, so that that might be something you might find me uh, uh trading some of my reading time with uh, writing. Um, and if you want us to read that and proofread it to see where you're at on <laughs> yeah. it, let us know because we would be okay. absolutely thrilled to, to run yeah. through it. I'd love to do that. Thank you up on that. Dan, we're running up on time and we don't yep. want to take up any more of your time. We should probably do this again because the number of stories you have are really amazing, really outstanding, and we really, really appreciate hearing them. Um, we just want to thank you again. We're really grateful that you took the opportunity sure. to spend some time with us today. Loved hearing your five points at the end. Uh, really loved hearing the story as you transitioned from the agency life through client life to a professor and then all the lives you've changed along the way. So again, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate having you on. We can't wait to talk to you again in the future. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Lauren. Enjoyed it very much and look forward to uh, ma maintaining close contact with you guys. Likewise. Safe for us. <laughs>